Let's open our Bibles tonight to 1 John, the epistle of 1 John, and chapter 1. We saw in the morning service uh, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. It also mentioned uh, Matthew 5.14, where Jesus told his disciples, ye are the light of the world. What does that mean? It means that we are to be shining lights as Christ was. We are to reflect his light. In the morning service, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, we, we, he was the identity of the light. And tonight we'll look at 1 John, or 1 John 1, 1 to 10, and also over in Ephesians, some other passages that will help us uh, understand what it means to walk in the light. That is the, the practical application of the light um, of Christ in each of our lives, the effect that that light has on our lives. So the title of the message tonight, Walking in the Light. Uh, Pastor Nate said that uh, he would uh, uses the word ish. We may get over around seven-ish, uh, Pastor Nate, so um, we'll see how we go. We'll try to get it early because there's other things going on tonight. The key verse in this chapter, I believe, is verse 7, 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. At the beginning of this epistle, John arrests our attention with the importance of the message. In verses 1 through 5, we'll go halfway through verse 5 in our reading first for the first point. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us, or made known unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you. The message is important to John and the rest of the apostles because they received it from God himself. The letter starts, that which was from the beginning. Many people think that John is talking here about the beginning as he referred to in the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 1, and also back to Genesis 1.1. The Bible Knowledge Commentary, the writers there say this is possible, but in view of the epistle's concern with the original message about Jesus Christ, it seems more likely that John referred to the beginning of the Gospel proclamation. So the things that John and the apostles, he says that which we, speaking uh, for the other apostles, the thing which John and the apostles received was the gospel, the gospel message, the good news. And they received it so that they could pass it on to others. And may I just say, that's why you received it as well. It's to be passed on. You probably get a lot of emails that you don't open. Some of them you may have identified already and they come up with a red flag or spam. You know what it is. You don't open it. You delete it. Some perhaps are advertisements that you have unsubscribed from and yet they keep showing up. This message that John is referring to is from the Lord. 
Those messages that come across your email that you know who they're from, they're important, aren't they? Well, this is important because of the one who gave it. God gave this gospel to them, and he has transferred it as well to us. It's a wonderful message that we've received from the Lord. The message is important because it's the message of life. The word of life at the end of verse 1 refers to the word that is life, or the word that gives life. It's what is called in grammar appositional. If you want life, then listen to this message, because it is life. The message is reliable because it's passed on through the apostles. It's been recorded in the scriptures. We have exactly what they testify that they heard, they saw, they carefully examined, they handled this gospel, and that life, the gospel really does change a life. That life was manifested. They saw it. They bore witness of it. And they declared it to the readers. What's the result of the gospel message? There are three listed in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, in order that, that ye may also have fellowship with us. That's the first. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That's the second. And these things write we unto you, that, in order that, your joy may be full. So, what does the gospel produce in our life? First, fellowship with other believers, in this case with the apostles in verse 3. Fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful to have received the gospel and you look around in church and other churches of people who know Christ, maybe you meet them on a day-to-day -day basis, and you have that relationship in Jesus Christ, your brothers and sisters, you're in the same family, and there is that wonderful fellowship that we have with others. And then we have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing that is to wake up in the morning and say, thank you, Lord, for giving me another day. Let's walk together today. I want to read your word. I want to pray. We have fellowship with him. And we also, in verse 4, have the result of the gospel, uh, joy, full joy. A Christian should be the most happy person, the most jo joyful person of anyone in the world. Our sins are forgiven. We have a purpose in living. We have a, a guidebook through life. And so we have this full joy, the result of the gospel, fellowship with others, fellowship with God, and joy. So here's the importance of the message. Now, what's the content of that message? The content is simply this, that God is the only true light. There are a lot of people that advertise that they know what light is, or they want to give you the light that you need in your life. Only Jesus Christ is that light. Verses 5 through 7 John reveals the message with a positive and then with a negative declaration. The positive declaration, positive statement, God is light. Verse 5, this then is a message that we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Again, he, he has a positive and a negative in that statement. Reveals the, the nature of God, that he is light. We mentioned that this morning, the claim that Jesus made. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You may ask, well, who is the light? Is it Christ or is it God? The answer is yes. Jesus is God. Uh, there is that, uh, don't try to separate the members of the Trinity. God is in three persons, and he is light. Light speaks about the absolute holiness of God. 
that, that light gives us the idea, the, the brilliance, the brightness. There's no shadow of turning. There's no darkness at all with him. Light tells us that God is dependable. Light speaks to the immutability of God. He doesn't change. He's always the same. Albert Einstein said that the reason he could construct the theory of relativity was because of one thing in the universe that's constant, and that, he said, was the speed of light. 186,000 miles per second, always travels at that same speed. And I've always wondered, if a spaceship is going the speed of light and turns on its headlights, how fast does, it, does that go? 186,000 miles per second, that's around the globe, in seven, seven times around the globe every second. We can build our theology on the constant that God is light. Einstein could build his theory of relativity we build on the constant that God is light. He is holy, absolutely holy, absolutely pure, separate from all sin. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. John then reveals the message with a negative declaration or statement, in him is no darkness at all. This would have been much different than the gods that the readers were used to, the gods of Greek and Roman mythology. Those gods were like men. Sometimes they were evil, sometimes they were good, sometimes they made mistakes, they were fallible, they were mixtures of light and darkness. John is declaring the true God is absolutely good, in him is no darkness, none. In the physical sense, we think of darkness as the absence of light. You can't have both darkness and light at the same time. As soon as you turn the light on, the darkness is gone. In a spiritual sense, it's the same thing. Spiritual darkness is the absence of the one who is the light. When you have Christ, you have light. There can't be a darkness and a light in the believer's life, and that's what he's going to go through in this, in this section. Matthew writes in Matthew 20, or 6, 22 and 23, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? It's an interesting two verses. What does it mean? If you're focusing your eye, the affections of your heart, on evil things, on the dark things, on the sinful things, and then you're saying to others, I'm walking in the light. Then the light that you claim to have is actually darkness. You are deceived. You think you have the light of Christ, but you're wrapped up in the darkness of your sin. Matthew says that if that's going on in your life, then you're living a lie. And that kind of self-deception is huge. He says, how great is the darkness. In Jesus Christ, there's no darkness at all. Now we have a warning in verse 6. A walk in the darkness negates the claims of true faith. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Here's the claim. We have fellowship with him. Everything's right between us and the Lord. See, I'm going to church. I'm singing. I'm closing my eyes during prayer. I'm putting money in the offering plate. 
I'm ticking off all the boxes that everybody else around me is ticking off too. I must be in fellowship with God. But here's the reality. We claim we have fellowship with him, but we are walking in darkness. It's all this outward show. And as soon as you get away from that church crowd, you get alone, you're back to the old dark ways. And what's the conclusion? You're lying. Lying is not just something you do with your tongue. We tell lies with our tongues. Some people live a lie without saying a word. They put on that outward show and make others think everything's right. They're a believer. Everything's good. The verse says, interestingly, you lie and do not the truth. You might expect the sentence to read, you lie and are not telling the truth. But the verb indicates an activity. You're not living the truth. The lie is not just being told, it's being proved in our outward actions. We come to verses 7 through 10 and we see a walk in the light proves genuine faith. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. John uses the word at the beginning uh, of verse 7, but. He's showing that there's this radical difference. You're either walking in the, in the darkness or you're walking in the light. Which is it? The practice in verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. You know, Jesus Christ, who said, I am the light of the world, he's the standard for whether we're walking in the light or not. It's easy to look at someone else and think, you know, they're, they're living on the pretty dark side of life. And compared to them, I'm not as in the dark as they are. But when you see the brilliant light of Christ, he's the, he's the test. He's the comparison. He's the one who saves. He's the one who sanctifies. So with his help, we can walk in the light. There are two results of walking in the light given in verse 7. We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Here's the fellowship again, one with another. We have fellowship with our, others who are, who are walking with Jesus Christ. That means that we can't have true fellowship with those who are not walking with Christ, those who are walking in the dark. You wonder why others keep you at a distance when you have come to Christ and they have not. They don't invite you to their parties anymore. There's a passage in 1 Peter about that, chapter 4 and verse 4. In verse 3, he talked about in time past, this is what you did. And it lists all the sins that go on at those kinds of parties. And in verse 4, it says, Wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. You're a goody two-shoes. They'll start saying all sorts of things about you, speaking evil of you because you don't do what you used to do when you lived in the dark means you can't have true fellowship with those who are in the dark. It also means when another believer is walking in the light, you will have fellowship with them. It's natural. We have something in common, something more 
than just hobbies or interests or sports or talents. We have Christ who makes us one, united. What joy to know others who have fully surrendered to him, who are walking in the light of Christ. We have this corporate fellowship with others in the body of Christ. And notice also, there's constant cleansing. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses, cleanseth. It keeps on cleansing us from all sin. If I'm walking in the light, there's going to be this continual recognition if something dark comes into my life, my own heart. I I have that conviction because of the Holy Spirit. And so here is this, the blood of Christ cleansing me from all sin. The Christian who sins will, will be grieved over that sin. Most miserable person in the world is the Christian living in sin. The unsaved person living in sin, they're doing what's normal. They're not miserable. The Christian living for Christ, that's what God expects. That's normal. But it's the Christian who, who dips into sin, who lives in sin, that is miserable. And so the Holy Spirit brings conviction. Remember King David cried out after his great wickedness, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Jesus told Peter that he needed his feet washed. Love that section in John chapter 13. Peter said, You'll never wash my feet, Lord. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part with me. And so he says, okay, Lord, not just my feet, but all over, my hands, my head. And Jesus said, he that is washed needeth not to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. Needeth not to save uh, to wash his feet, but is clean every whit or throughout. And ye are clean, but not all, speaking of Judas. You don't need to be saved again. You just need to have that your feet clean. You've been walking through the world, Peter. You need to have a, 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 make sure that you're clean with the Lord. Some have argued the phrase uh, at the beginning of verse 7, if we are walking in the light, refers to personal holiness. If that's true, what's being described by the blood continuing to cleanse us from all sin? It doesn't make sense. If we're living a life of holiness, there'd be no need for the blood cleansing us from all sin. So I believe this is personal sanctification. Sanctification is this ongoing process in your life. That you're living for the Lord and and something comes into your life, a thought, a deed, Uh, an attitude, and you know that it's not right, and again, here comes that convicting power of the Holy Spirit, and you say, oh, I need to confess that and make it right with the Lord. And that's the application of 1 John 1, 9. John's including himself, notice, in that that verse, if we confess our sins, he's, he's a believer, he's talking to believers, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he's including himself in that dilemma of sin in the believer. What about verse 10? How does that fit in? What is it saying? If we say that we have not sinned, well, that's what sinners say all the time, right? But if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Walvert in in the Bible Knowledge Commentary writes, This statement should be read in direct connection with verse 9. When a Christian is confronted by God's word about his sins, he should admit them rather than deny them. To deny one's personal sin in the face of God's testimony, to the contrary, is to make God out to be a liar. By contradicting his word, a person rejects it 
and refuses to give the proper place, uh, give it the proper place in his life. Well, let's look at Ephesians uh, 5, uh, chapter, chapter 5, verses 8 through 14 now. It's another passage that talks about Christians walking in the light. There are several verses in the New Testament about this, so I wanted to choose the two major, uh, 1 John 1 and then Ephesians chapter 5. So if you'll turn over there, we'll look at these verses and uh, just a few applications about uh, how we can learn to walk in the light. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, if you're a genuine believer, then you should be walking in the light. Ephesians 5.8, For ye were sometimes, that is, formerly, at one time in the past, you were what? In darkness. But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And so as we go through this section, how do children of light walk? How are we to live? Well, first of all, children of light bear fruit, Ephesians 5, 9, and 10. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Now, three fruit are mentioned in this, uh, in this passage, verse 9, that are obvious in the lives of those who are walking in truth, who are walking in the light. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. The word goodness has to do with virtue, something that benefits others, a generosity. Righteousness is something that's just. You'll be just. You'll be fair in your dealings. And then truth is honesty. So if you walk in in the light, what does it look like? It, It looks like you're generous. You're helpful to others. You're fair. You're honest. Here are just three fruit, fruits, but there are other passages that list fruits, the nine fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and 23. And so our lives are to be fruitful. If you're walking in the light, that fruit is going to be obvious in your life. Back to Ephesians 5, 9. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. The word prove there, dakimazo, it's our... Approved workmen are not ashamed word. Prove by testing. You will allow God to put your works to the test and see if they're well-pleasing to him. See if they're agreeable to him. So children of light bear fruit. Secondly, in verses 11 through 13, children of light expose error. You say, well, I'm going to leave that to somebody else. I don't like getting involved in that. I don't like to be confrontational or judgmental. Come Wednesday night and we'll see what that is. But uh, in verses 11 through 13, what does it mean that we expose error? Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. You can't walk in the light and not see the darkness and not see the error that that is all around us. And so the negative, don't do this, but do this. Don't um, have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't associate with darkness. There are deeds that are done in the cover, under the cover of darkness. They are unfruitful, 
Galatians 5.19 calls them the works of the flesh. I find that interesting. In Galatians 5.19, he talks about the works of the flesh as opposed to the fruit of the Spirit. Living a spiritual life isn't work. You're just letting God produce the fruit that he wants to in your life. So have no fellowship with them. That word fellowship is a partnership, an alliance, sharing company with, welcoming that into your life. Don't do that. But what? What's the positive? Do this. But rather, reprove them. To reprove is to point out a fault, to admonish. Homer Kent writes, It's not enough merely to abstain from evil practices. Believers are to reprove them. To be a true follower of Christ is to take a positive stand for purity. Evil practices are not to be ignored or tolerated, but exposed and attacked for what they are. That's what Homer Kent says, and that's what God says. The reason, verses 12 and 13, it's a shame to speak of those things done in secret. All things are made clear by the light. The light of Christ makes everything clear and plain. Once we allow that light to shine through us into a dark world, then they should be able to see clearly as well. So we're to reprove and expose what's going on in the darkness. Third, children of light live to lead others to Christ. I find that interesting. It's in verse, five, uh, verse 14 of Ephesians 5. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. It's taken from Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 1. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. There are three statements in the verse for the lost man. First of all, wake up. You're sleeping. You're going to miss the message of salvation if you don't wake up and listen to it. Arise. You're spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. And it's only the call of God that can awaken you to that. Arise, and Christ shall give thee light. He's the only one who can give light. God gives us light so that we can show forth the praises of Jesus Christ. Is it important that a Christian walk in the light? Is it really that meaningful? Is it something that I have to do? It's something that you should want to do. 1 Peter 2.9 says, that you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Why? That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And people will see the radical transformation that's taken place in your life, a transformation that only the light of Jesus Christ could have, could have accomplished. And they'll be praising God for it. God gives us light so we can bring glory to our Father in heaven. One last verse, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and pat you on the back and say, what a great Christian you are. No, no. And glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Our walking in the light is to the glory of God. And why does the world not look at the church and see the glory of God? Because Christians need to walk in the light. Is your light making a difference 
in this dark world. At church, little Jane listened to a sermon on this passage, Let Your Light Shine. The only part she remembered was the text, but she didn't understand what it meant until she asked her mother, and her mother explained, it means being good, obedient, and cheerful. That afternoon, Jane lost her temper, and she excused herself for being angry by saying, I blowed myself out. Hmm. How about you? Are you walking in the light? Are you shining brightly for the Lord Jesus Christ, or have you blowed yourself out? If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, I urge you to come to the light today. Awake, arise, come to the light of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Christian, will you ask God to help you to shine brightly in this dark world They need to see the light of Christ reflected in us. Let's be lights to this dark world. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And I pray that as we've considered this theme of light and darkness today, you would help us to realize the importance of coming to the light who is Jesus Christ and walking in in fellowship with him and living lives that are radiant and brilliant in a dark world. And I pray that you'll give us the strength to do that, that we'll take care of those, those sinful thoughts and attitudes and actions that are bringing the light into a, under a bushel. I pray that you'll put us on a candlestick so that we'll, we'll help others, we'll give them the light of Christ. We ask in his name, amen.